Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. Okay, it's good to be here. I love, I love the emphasis of this week. I love the topic. If there's, if there's a few passions that I have in life, this is nailing it head on uh, as one of the tops. I love talking about Jesus. I love sharing the story of the gospel and therefore love the fact to be able to be here with you. And my desire is that these sessions, if you want to call them sessions, go into a whole lot more than just me standing up here in front of you this morning, this evening, tomorrow evening, Friday morning. But they, they translate into uh, lunchtime conversations, roundtable discussions, uh, interaction debate, I love debating, um, all the above, because that's, I think, where it's really fleshed out. So what I'm sharing with you from here, uh, I want to take out to there, to where you're going from this point on. And uh, I don't know you, which most of you, which is an awesome blessing uh, in disguise, I think, a little bit, because I don't know your background. I don't know which, where you've come from. I don't know your story. love to hear your story. But how is that translating into the fact that you're sitting here this morning and that God is, has you in a very unique position to equip you uh, through a lot of means to take what you're learning from the Word of God back into your family, community, uh, who knows where from that point on. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Um, if you heard the description being read I, from Brother Tim, Tim, correct? Dion. Where did I get Tim from? <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Doesn't matter. Dion. If you heard, heard the, uh, the description of, of, of him reading who we are and kind of what we're up to, um, I, I sat back and listened and I said, God, that's going to have to be you. I don't know how all that's going to happen that he read. Um, we, we believe it's going to happen. Uh, we believe that it is happening. We're just not sure how God's going to finalize the story in the city that we're located in. But we're open. We're open. We're open to exploration. Um, so a lot of what I'll be talking about in these sessions, I'm going to be very honest with you, are some of the most frustrating things. Missions in general can be some of the most frustrating time periods when you so desperately want God to move in the heart and soul of a person or a community and you work towards that, believing that that's of God, and you don't always see it work out the way that you had anticipated or just go the complete opposite direction, who can know the mind of God? And so we're trying to discover this and understand this as we move along. I'm just going to share what God burdened me with this morning and again this evening, tomorrow evening and Friday morning, uh, which is why I'd love to flush it out in conversations at the lunch at lunchtime or whenever, not because we've figured it out, but because we believe this is a journey that God has embarked us on, and we're figuring it out as we go. I will clearly uh, put out this disclosure. Anything that God has used me in or any story that I will share has come about by more of a God-sized accident than it was about me having the ability to make anything happen humanly. I want that to be clear. Church planting, for me, for my experience, there's probably others here who could say it very differently, have been God-sized accidents, just happening to cross paths with that one person. 
just happening to have that particular thing happened, which made that domino effect happen that created what it is. So I'm putting out that disclosure to say that missions is as wide as the ocean. Don't get caught up in just one way of thinking about missions or about how you can be involved in missions. The benefit that we have is this is missions, is missions emphasis week, so I don't have to be guilty as more of an apostolic type figure talking about missions constantly over the next four days. I love that. I love it. It's given me permission. Thank you very much, Matt, and whoever invited me. This is what I get passionate about. So I'm going to read a quote. Can I step away? Awesome. I'm a mover. I don't love to be locked down to one position, so I'm going to be moving maybe too much, but it's who I am. Um, I'm going to read a quote, okay? I'm going to read a quote. And when I read this quote, I want you to be thinking about who might have said that, okay? Think back to who might have said this. If you don't know the answer to that, I'll give the answer anyway. But I'm going to read this quote. And this is what this person said. God, I know surely that you do not exist. But if perchance you exist, which I contest, it is not my duty to believe in you. It is your duty to reveal yourself to me. You might say, what arrogance, whoever said that. I'm going to read it one more time. God, I know surely that you do not exist, but if perchance you do exist, which I contest, it is not my duty to believe in you. It is your duty to reveal yourself to me. Anybody have an answer to that? And I don't have prizes. Maybe Dion can throw something else in the mix. But anybody know who might have said that? No. Good guess, but no. Uh, how many of you have heard of the Voice of the Martyrs? Who, who founded the Voice of the Martyrs? A guy by the name of Richard Wormbrandt. Okay? Richard Wormbrandt, a Jewish, Jewish atheistic Marxist figure born in 1904 that grew up in extreme poverty uh, that kind of sort of robbed his way through life became very sharp uh, uh, in his mind and went great places, uh, found great wealth in his life, but he, what, he la- what he lacked was the understanding of the existence of God. And so he was an atheist that actually made that statement, that somewhat arrogant statement, saying, God, you certainly don't exist, but if you do, which I contest, it's up to you to reveal yourself to me. How many of you know the story of how Richard Wormbrandt came to faith in Jesus? That's my point, by the way, and that's where we're going to be headed this week. There's normally, in most cases, somebody behind somebody. That's a weird statement. But there's normally, in most cases, a person behind somebody. There was a guy by the name of Christian Wolfsks. You might have heard that name, maybe not. Christian Wolfsks was a German carpenter up in the hills of Romania, When Richard Wormbrandt and his wife, Savina, uh, Richard got sick with, I think it was um, tuberculosis, ended up in the hills of, of, uh, of Romania. And there was this German carpenter named Christian Wolfsks who had a God birthed desire within him. Where it came from is a little bit unknown. He did have a Jewish doctor that tended to some of his needs, but Christian was a Christian with a desire to reach a Jewish person 
to help them find the way of salvation. So Christians started to pray that direction. There was one little minute detail as part of that story that in the community where Christian Wolfsks lived, there were no Jews. There wasn't one. So where did the desire come from? Only, only God knows. But Christians started to pray, to meet, and to connect, and to relate the gospel to one Jewish person. Richard Wormbrand and Sabina's wife ended up up in the mountains, and in one of Richard's Wormbrand's walks, as he slowly regained strength, was up through the mountains where he happened across, God-sized accident, folks, happened across the path of this guy named Christian Wolfs. Christian instantly sought his answer to prayer, shared the Bible, the Word of God, with Richard Wormbrandt, and as the story goes, shared his faith. And Richard Wormbrandt said later on that in reading the Scriptures, he came face to face with God, with the living Jesus, who transformed his life. And there's obviously more things that went on during that time frame, but, but this gentleman... Christian Wolfsks had a part in his story. Does anybody know who had a part in Christian Wolfsk coming to faith in Jesus? There's always somebody behind somebody, folks. Follow the lines. After Richard Wormbrandt came to faith in Jesus and him and Savina had started their ministry among the Jewish population in all the work that they did, Richard ended up in ended up imprisoned multiple times and horribly abused and mistreated. And on the backside of that, coming out of, coming out of prison, um, he was able to share his story with the masses in a lot of different locations. And he had the occasion where he was sharing this story and mentioned Christian Wolfsk's name to the people that he was, that he was interacting with and sharing his story. And he noticed that during that time period, in, in that particular meeting, that there was an old, very old gentleman sobbing, weeping, during that, that time of sharing. And he said, I got, I've got to talk to that guy afterwards. And so he, he did. Talked to the guy afterwards, who introduced himself as a Pitter. It's his last name, Pitter. We don't even know his first name. But Pitter shared the story of how he had had a part in bringing Christian Wolfsks to faith in Jesus, and he'd struggled all his life feeling inadequate before God that he'd only had the opportunity to lead a person to faith in Jesus. He was struggling with it emotionally. Didn't struggle with who God was, didn't struggle with any other parts of his relationship with God, but was struggling in, inwardly that he didn't feel adequate because he'd only had opportunity to bring a, a person to faith in Jesus, and that just happened to be Christian Wolfs. So folks, I'm telling you that story to say that, that in a God-sized vacuum or in a God-sized story, we don't always know the far-reaching implications of what God is doing through a life, through a life. Richard Wormbrandt, who went on to help and share faith in Jesus with thousands upon thousands upon thousands, and yes, he went through some very horrible experiences and started with that, the voice of the martyrs that has far-reaching far implications to the, the, um, uh, the world of those that are suffering for faith in Jesus, 
was brought to faith by a person who had simply a vision to pray for a Jewish person to interact with with the gospel. Minute problem, there was no Jew in that community. God just happened to bring that along. God-sized story. And then there was this guy named Pitter who had, uh, sadly in his recollection, only the opportunity to, to lead one person to faith who just happened to have that opportunity with Richard Wormbrandt. My Guys, what, what is your story? <laughs> what is your story? I want to continually be calling you back to your own personal experience and that experience of identifying who... There's a topic. I'll eventually get this topic out there. But who co-labored with the Father on the extraordinary mission of helping you come to faith in Jesus? Why are you sitting here? I beg of you that question. Look back and identify the person or those people that God uniquely positioned, and it might have been your parents, it might have been a grandparent, it might have been a friend, it might have been someone you don't even know today. They just happened to come across you in the process, and God used them remarkably in your life to co-labor with him to bring you to faith in Jesus. Because when we can start to identify those markers in our lives, I think, this is for me personally, who thinks more missionally, I think that when I can think back and recognize the story of, God, you brought me from here to here, you used a person in the interaction, right, in the, the phase of growth in that, that helps me look ahead and believe that God's all about, all about starting lineages of faith through you and through me. I hope that story intrigues you a little bit this morning to actually want to come back this evening also. <laughs> because this is what we're talking about. In my opinion, this is the most important topic apart from the gospel message, which includes the gospel, by the way, because obviously it's about the gospel. There is no conversation. There is no topic that's more important. Yes, life is busy. There's a lot going on. There always will be <laughs> until the end. But somewhere in that, getting our minds wrapped around this topic that I've already shared co-laboring with the Father on the extraordinary mission that he has called us to. There's some assumptions played out in that title. Here's one assumption, that the Father is actually looking for people to co-labor with him. Okay, that's an assumption. And I, and I don't say that, I, I, don't, I don't presuppose that that's an assumption maybe that you all believe. I'm just going to head down that road. And what I would love for us to grab hold of this morning is is that one of those little parts that, that God has uniquely equipped me and brought me to where I'm at for the sake of co-laboring, perhaps in the life of one other person, on mission, on the extraordinary mission that he has called me to, co-laborship with the Father. Co-laboring with God goes back to the Garden of Eden. God could have decided to do it on his own. Look at the whole biblical narrative straight through the Old Testament into the New Testament. How did God uniquely equip people to have an impact with people? Whether it was Adam naming, uh, caring for the garden or naming the animals that God could have just uniquely done on his own, or to, to uh, obviously using stories of the patriarchs straight, straight into the New Testament, the, apostol the, the apostles, the disciples, and the early church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Through, through history, 
God has uniquely equipped people to work with people. He uses them generally in the process. I'm not saying there's not a time that supernaturally God doesn't interject something into a life of a person where there's not a believer to fill the void or to fill the gap. God's bigger than that, folks. I'm not saying he can't do that. But what I'm saying is that generally in the storyline, God uses people to reach people. Look back in your own story, your own particular story. All right. I know one problem I'm going to have all week is ending when I need to end, and I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to end by 10.55 because I know I've got to stay on track. So co-laboring with the Father in the extraordinary mission that he has called us to. Another assumption in that heading is that the mission is extraordinary. Is it? Or is it not? I just told the story of Richard Wormbrandt, and I told the story of Christian Wolfsks, and I told the story behind uh, Christian of Pitter, another gentleman that we don't really know his name, full name. So that, that's the, was that extraordinary? And who can give me a definition of what the word extraordinary actually means? We say it, right? It's in the dictionary, and we do use it, but what does it actually mean? Could someone give me, anybody want to just throw out some ideas of, of perhaps what the, the word extraordinary means, and then we can try to figure out, does that fit into mission? Say it again. Very normal or very abnormal? Okay, extremely normal, okay. Very normal, anybody else? Outside of normal, someone else said. Anybody else? More than normal? Good ideas. Anybody else? Out of the ordinary, I think someone said. Is that what someone said? Thank you. So you guys are, you guys are nailing it. Very, very good. So I, I, when I was thinking about this, and this goes to a while back because this is actually somewhat of a message I'd shared in the past, but when I, when I went back and looked, because I was curious, you know, I use the word extra, extraordinary all the time, um, what, what does it mean? What, what does it really mean as relates to mission? Does it fit? Does it apply? And so when I went to Webster Merriam, what it actually says is some of what you said. Very unusual. Going beyond what is regular and going beyond what is customary are some of the definitions given to the word extraordinary. And so as I thought about mission and as I thought about Richard Wormbrandt's story and the people behind Richard Wormbrandt and and again, you fill in the blank as to who was behind you. Was it normal? Or did God use someone in an extraordinary sort of way to birth in you something new, something different? Now, I don't, again, know your story. My probably bad assumption is that most of you grew up in homes that were Christian when you came on the scene. Maybe that's a bad assumption, but that's my guess. That's my guess. In my opinion, that doesn't change the facts. The facts are that you were born into a sinful world, that you broke God's laws, that you you needed to be rescued from this world and rescued from yourself. There was a chasm between you and God. And that you needed to be brought back through the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus, to find relationship with God. 
That to me seems a little bit unusual. It seems a little bit out of the ordinary. And it seems a little bit non-customary. Okay, so when I think of missions, regardless of how uh, big perhaps, right, your story is, I think we can all fit into that category of this person had an impact in my life in an extraordinary, uncustomary sort of way. They didn't have to talk to me about Jesus. They didn't have to. God's not sitting up there with a hammer, banging heads, saying, you have to talk to them about Jesus. We're encouraged to, certainly, absolutely. It's part of our role as Christians. It's part of what we ought to naturally be doing. But God's not beating us over the head for not. We'll get into some of that later. Um, so again, I don't know your story, but I would, I would argue that, that the mission of Jesus is a little bit extraordinary. It's a little bit unusual. It's a little bit of going beyond the norm, and it's a little bit of going beyond the regular. It is extraordinary. And so the stories that we hear about faith in Jesus and how people came to faith in Jesus are just a touch, a touch extraordinary. There's really one verse I'll be sharing this morning and just a little bit of the backdrop to that verse. And it really sets up the whole four different sessions that I'll be talking about. And that's from Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I should have that up there and I don't. And I apologize. Um, to be very frank, the sessions this week are going to be a little bit of a moving target. <laughs> I don't know if anybody understands that as a speaker, but I really felt like God saying for clearly for weeks, don't lock yourself into a box, Nate. Don't lock yourself into a box. Be open to how I'm moving. And so I'm going to fly by the seat of my pants here a little bit. But listen to the words of Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. And this is the backdrop to co-laborship, okay? This is the background, and you ask yourself the question of how do I fit? Man, woman, makes no difference. How do I fit into this whole thing of co-laboring with the Father on the extraordinary mission that he has called us to? In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, says the following, and this verse for me is eye-opening. Excuse me, I'm trying to blow my nose at the same time. I apologize. Ezekiel 22:30. I looked. Who's speaking? God. Okay, just to clarify, God. I looked for a man, a person, among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. It's one of the most, I, I think, it's one of the more extraordinary verses in the Bible, to be very frank and honest. It's very sobering if you think about what's being talked about. God is speaking, and I'm going to read the verse again, saying the following, 2230. And I'm going to read it out of a different version. I've got two. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Again, folks, that's a sobering verse. But if you think about what it's actually saying and what God's actually saying is that he has created mankind with intricate value. Folks, you're sitting here this morning with intricate value. You could doubt that. We could discuss that later. I get that. There's been many times in my pilgrimage and quotations that I've struggled with what value do I actually bring to the table, right? Who am I? 
I don't really understand the reason for existence. Richard Wormbrandt started off his life as an atheist. Didn't believe in the existence of God. The lack thereof of God. I can't say that there was ever a point in my life where I seriously doubted the existence of God, but I can say that there's been many points in my life where I've doubted the relevance of God in my life. That's a little bit different. Where I've struggled to understand my role. Where I've struggled to understand how do I actually fit in. I feel like an outcast. Whether I've created that because of a sinful pattern or because I just don't fit in to society. What's my role? And you might be sitting here this morning asking yourself those very same questions. And yet there's a God who I firmly believe in today, unquestionably, that says I'm looking for somebody to fill the gap in the wall. Again, the verse says, I sought for a person from among them who would make a wall or establish the wall and stand in the gap before who? Before me, God is saying, on behalf of the land, because I don't want to destroy it, but I'm not finding anybody. Okay? What's the backdrop to that verse? Right? Because context is important. The context of that verse is that God goes through a whole chapter, large parts of this chapter in Ezekiel chapter 22. Well, I'm, I'm going to name a few things that he actually says, that he talks about. Just listen to what God says about the people, the Jewish nation at that point. They have not distinguished between unholy and holy, nor have they made known the difference between clean and unclean. Okay, interesting. It's one thing. Another thing that he says is the people of the land have used oppressions. They've committed robbery. They've mistreated the poor and the needy. And they wrongfully oppress the stranger. Okay, those are just a couple of things of the, the large lists of things that God kind of levels at the people saying, hey, this is who you are. And by the way, I'm calling you back is what God is saying. God's not done in the story, okay? But I don't want you guys to miss, to miss the, the, the one fact of this, the many facts, but the one particular fact that God is looking for people. He is desiring co-laborship with people. I'm going to throw out a couple of other verses to just verify that. Um from the, the New Testament, from the Apostle Paul's writings. Listen to what Paul says. We are God's fellow workers. 1 Corinthians 3.9, by the way. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. 2 Corinthians 6.1. We then as workers together with God. You catching the language, folks? Workers together with God. Plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Wow. Okay, I got five minutes, okay? Please, please hear my heart. You've heard a little bit of our story of why we're doing what we're doing. I, I hope and pray that you can catch the spirit behind which I stand here today, okay? And throughout the next four days and want to have those conversations. Because I don't think there's anything else that is, okay, Utica, which is where we live, 
I can easily say in five years, has been possibly some of the harder five years, I would say, of life. Oxymoronic, it's also been the place where I'm most at peace. There is something intricately valuable about being where God wants you to be when God calls, in co-laborship, that says that the benefits far outweigh the struggle. The benefits far outweigh the struggle. This evening or tomorrow morning, I'm very undecided about which direction we're going to go. There's different options that I have that I really feel like God has burdened my heart with. But one of those options are this title, Driven by Objective, Understanding Your Why. And that is going to talk a little bit about what, what, is, what has God given you for a vision that you're not going to be perfectly at peace with God unless you're actually fulfilling that vision. And then why do you do what you do? because that's a very, very important question to ask. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. I don't want to run ahead. But the point of the matter is this. God, in this Ezekiel chapter 22 passage, clearly says, and by the way, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Corinth, when he was writing these things down, was not sitting in a uh, palace. Um, he, wasn't, he wasn't living high, if you look at it socially, economically. He was a person who was struggling to maintain life at the hands of a lot of oppressors, people who didn't want Paul living. But what he recognized was that in co-laboring with the Father, there's something greater that's ahead of me, and that is the mission of Jesus, and where, where God's calling me to, he is actively working, and I'm going to join him in that work. And that's what I want to lay out for you this morning, folks. I can, there's no way we'd have time to break down why co-laborship. We could look theologically at why God uses humans in the process. Uh, there's no time. Impossible. Let's make that a table time discussion later on. But co-laborship. Why co-laborship? Why does God use people to rub on people? Why does he do that? Why? You know what, folks? Actually, I'm very thankful that he does. I love being part of that mission. And my hope and my prayer is that you can make a slight maybe change or shift in your heart and in your mind to say, I want to see this, whatever this is, happen in my life also. Doesn't mean it's going to be the place of greatest physical, emotional, human peace but it means that I'm going to be where God wants me to be and that's of utmost value and importance because I want to be where God wants me to be. We're going to talk later about the micro and the macro because mission as a Christian has to apply to both. And I don't mean micro and macro, that one's smaller than the other, but micro would relate to missions just simply where I'm located today, Okay by definition of the way that I'm defining it over these sessions. Micro would be that I grew up in this home, in this community, and I'm actively living out Jesus in this home, in this community. Because I'm a disciple of Jesus, that's reason enough. We'll talk about that later, okay? In a micro sense. Macro might be a little bit of a shift where you say, no, God has called me to more of an apostolic, missional type life on the move, moving, uprooting, and translocating, retranslocating to another location. So I want to be talking about micro and macro, both equally, and I want to say that again, 
equally important. Because if we miss one, if we neglect one of those, everything's out of kilter, folks. It needs to be micro, it needs to be macro, evenly balanced. And I promise you, and I'm out of time, I promise you that, that God is going to shift something in your mind this, for these four sessions, these four, uh, three or four days. Um, just not sure what he's going to do or how he's going to do it. But let's have those conversations. Let's take it beyond just this session. Can I get an amen? Okay. God, thank you so much for this opportunity. There is so much here. Um, And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would birth a fire. It says in John that the wind blows where it blows. Who can know where it comes and goes? Holy Spirit, would you have your way? We worship you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.